Coming up, the science of sales from one of the absolute best in the industry. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another exciting adventure amongst the Military Millionaire Podcast. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. If you're new here, we help service members and veterans achieve financial freedom through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, personal finance. We do that with a ton of free platforms like this podcast, the YouTube channel, our Facebook group with over 64,000 members, you know, all your other favorite social medias. And I even give my book away for free and you'll be able to find that link in the show notes. Now, today's guest is actually one of the best sales trainer in the real estate space, Steve Trang. Steve runs the Real Estate Disruptors Movement. He started Real Estate Disruptors podcast in the middle of 2018. He got over 100,000 downloads per month now, and his legacy that he is aiming for is to create 100 millionaires. Now, Steve is a phenomenal human, and one of his favorite quotes is from Zig Ziglar, you can have everything in life that you want if you just help enough people get what they want. Now, Steve is a sales coach. He's helped hundreds of clients generate millions in sales over the past few years. On top of owning single family rentals, Steve also owns apartments and he co-founded a bank. But more importantly, and the main reason we brought him on the show today is because he's like the king of sales and sales training. And I've watched his content online for a long time. I've always been a fan. He actually educates people on it instead of just being loud from a podium and then sharing it as sales training. I can't recommend Steve enough. Make sure you stay tuned for the whole episode. We're going to dig through the entire science of sales as an overview. Let's go. Steve, welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, I'm excited about this. We got introduced at uh, the Family Mastermind, mm -hmm. uh, fr mutual friend of both of ours. Times. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, I see. I felt like everybody and their mother was trying. It was like, oh, Dave needs to know Steve Trang. And I'm like, I I do like Steve's to Steve's info. I've heard nothing but good things about you from uh, from friends of mine that have worked with you in the past, and uh, so this is exciting for me. But yeah, a lot of interest. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm curious, uh, and I don't know if you're willing to share this. I always try to ask just like a, a big kind of hook question at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, the one that I thought of for you, I was just kind of curious what the biggest either assignment fee or, or best deal you've done is. If you've got like a favorite, just like, holy crap, this is amazing. Uh, the best wholesale fee we had, I think it was 130K. Uh, but the best deal ever done was, I think we cleared almost a quarter mil on the deal. Wow. Uh, um, and that was a deal that was a situation, it was probate. And the reason why it worked was there was two different things on it that made it lucrative. So if you just stack those two things together, it's even mm. better. Yeah. Uh, one, it was joint tenancy because it was a probate situation. There's four siblings. And because it's four siblings, well, with there being four siblings, uh, they all grew up in this house. And when mom and, when mom and dad passed, they inherited it. And the oldest, the three siblings wanted to sell. The oldest didn't want to sell. He wanted to live in it because he was still living in it. And so when they were talking about selling it, he physically assaulted them with a Louisville baseball bat. So they were motivated sellers, right? Three of the four siblings. Uh, <laughs> so uh, with it being joint tenancy, we were able to buy out. We When we first looked at property, we thought the property was worth 140. Uh, so we were able to buy out three of the four siblings for 7,000 a piece. So, you know, they, it was worth about 30, 40 K per person, but they wanted nothing to do with the older, oldest brother. Mm -hmm. So we were able to buy it at, uh, seven thousand a piece. So we're in the twenty-one thousand. We own seventy-five percent of property. We estimate to be worth one hundred and forty. Uh, but we also saw that this is a potential lot split opportunity, and so when we eventually closed on it, or eventually forced a sale, uh, we actually did a lot split. And what we were into for the whole transaction, we got we made profit on the lot split, wow. and then everything on the house is gravy, right? So. Uh, we own 75% of the house. We had to do a partition sale, which is basically, hey, David, you and I are both owners of this house, but I'm not happy in the situation, so let's sell it. And it doesn't matter what you say, like we have to sell it, right? Yeah. So so that we, we convinced the court 
to force the sale. Well, before we did that, we told the guys like, hey, we own 75% of it. Either buy us out or we'll buy you out. Like, look, either way is fine, right? You can buy us out at 160,000 valuation because that's where the market grew to. You can buy us out at 160,000 valuation or we'll buy you out at $160,000 valuation. Either way is fine, right? And so you can look at that as like, okay, we're being reasonable. So when we did that and he said no to either one, we went to a judge. A judge forced us to list it on the market for 160000 which is great for us. But then you go back to the guys like, well, look, we can sell it for 160, right? And you get 40K after commi- after commissions, everything, whatever's left over, we'll split it four ways. Or we'll just give you 40K today. So now with this reality, he took the 40K today. Then we're able, since we own it now, we can actually do the lot split, sell the land. And then, like I said, and then with appreciation and everything else, because this is like before the market went crazy with COVID, by the time we were done, the market was already done being crazy. So we had all the benefit of COVID as well. So like I said, we made close to a quarter mil on that deal. Man, you know, they say, uh, is, it, is it Tony Robbins? I don't even know anymore. Uh, the, a million entrepreneurs rephrase the same quote, which is that you get paid in direct proportion to the size of the problems you solve. And right. I think that's a perfect example because that's definitely not a newbie <laughs> real estate transaction. <laughs> yeah, joint tenancy, partition sales, lot splits. Yeah, there were a lot, a lot of factors going into it. That was actually one of the very few deals I've done where actually going to real estate school is helpful. Right, like real estate school is a complete waste of time and effort and energy. Like it's just complete bogus. There's no value in going to real estate school except like don't do this, don't do that. But the things I learned in real estate school actually helped me <laughs> on this deal because I understand lot splits, I understand joint tenancy. Like these are factors that actually came into play on this transaction. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, so I got my license, and I always tell people, I'm like, man, all you have to do to get a 50 on the test is understand that if they ask you if somebody who's not Caucasian is told not to buy a house <laughs> if it's discrimination the answer the answer is always yes anytime the test asks you is this discrimination you click yes there's 50 percent of the test now you just need to know the other 20 you know like it's yeah. i mean you don't learn anything about actually transacting real estate other than like the legalese uh right but holy smokes you're right about it coming in handy in that situation because most people have no idea um i mean most people probably wouldn't even have known that you could buy 75 percent of the house that way and then essentially right. force the sale. That's a pretty, pretty creative strategy. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's being seasoned. Uh, it's two different things. It's being seasoned, but also knowing people that do crazy, hairy deals, right? So yeah. being able to reach out to someone that's been doing it longer than you, quite a bit longer than you, maybe even as long as you've been alive, like that's a really handy resource to have. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't buy experience. It's gotta yeah. be yeah. No, that's awesome. Okay, so uh, we're gonna back up real quick. I just want to know a little bit backstory, quick overview. How did you you know how did you get into real estate in the first place, and how did you get to the place where you're running real estate dis- real estate disruptors, and you're like one of the kings of of sales. Um. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of achievement addiction in there somewhere along the way, right? Uh, but getting into real estate, it's like everyone else that, not, or at least us older dogs before Instagram was big. I was uh, rich dad poor dad, right? Yeah. So we didn't follow the social media trend, right? It was it was rich dad poor dad. And you read the book, and it was like oh four oh five. And I was like, okay, well, is this thing real? Because everything's happening in the real estate market. It doesn't look like it's going to last forever. This this can't be real. But it looks like it's happening. So let's get let's invest in real estate. So I bought uh, with my best friends. We bought a property in oh five. Bought a property in oh six. Um, and as we're buying more properties, I made a real estate broker at this point in 07, I'm making $70,000 a year, got a master's degree in electrical engineering, and I'm making 70,000 a year. I meet this broker. He's making a hundred thousand plus, and he just is living like the most chill life, right? Like he's golfing every day. He wears a suit with flip flops, smoking a cigarette. Like this guy's making way more money than I am. And he is living the freaking resort life, right? Everything we hate about realtors, right? On the outside looking in, like he was that guy, right? So I was like, okay, if he's making this much money and he's living a, like a chill life, like why am I not doing this? So I asked him like, what do I got to do to do what you do? He's like, go get your real estate license, I'll teach you everything I know. So in a matter of two and a half weeks, I get my real estate license, right? Because in Arizona, you could do it that fast at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got my real estate license. And as soon as I got my real estate license, I submit my two weeks notice at Intel. And I'm all in on real estate. 
horrible decision, right? But <laughs> I'm an action taker. So I moved really fast, took my eye off the ball. You know, Rich Dad Poor Dad says to invest in real estate. It doesn't say go get your real estate license, right? So I didn't follow Kiyosaki's advice after all. And so I was a realtor. That was a complete waste. Gave me a lot of valuable skills, a lot of experience. But for the most part, not the best use of time and energy and effort. Yeah. Um, but in 2011, I started, buy <clears throat> started buying houses only because I was a realtor trying to get more listings. And I'm going on Google and trying to figure out, like, how do I get listings? Uh, and I was doing, like, free market value, CMA, blah, blah, blah. Find out what your house is worth. Because, like, if you look and find out what your house is worth, you're probably going to sell your house. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, sell your house. Those are some of the keywords. And I noticed on the sell your house keywords, the cost per click was quite a bit higher. So I started doing some research there. I was like, oh, there's this Sean Terry guy out here. And he is just buying people's houses. And so I copied his website. Uh, there was a tool back in the day called Keyword Spy, and I literally copied his entire pay-per-click campaign. Like I just downloaded his pay-per-click campaign, made it my own campaign, and I started running those ads. But I was still wearing my realtor hat, uh, so it's like you know we'll buy your house, but I go over there. It's like well you don't want me to buy your house, you need to list it. They're like no, I want you to buy it. I was like, really? So I started buying houses, right? And so and it didn't make any sense because like I'm paying way less than they would get on the market, right? But I start buying houses. And I got to a point where we ran out of money. <laughs> so once we ran out of money, I had, I had to wholesale because we couldn't buy any more houses. I had to start wholesaling. And, you know, out of the blue, right, the blue genie comes along, Jamil Damji. This is back in 2014. I start wholesaling deals to him. We start co-wholesaling deals together. 2018, I started the podcast uh, on, on wholesaling. And... Next thing you know, we're here. Oh, and then the sales training. So in 2018, the same time I started the podcast, I connect with a sales trainer. And in connecting with a sales trainer, I was horrific as a salesperson. Like I said a moment ago, I was a, I have a master's degree in electrical engineering, right? Engineering and sales do not go hand in hand, right? Uh, so um, the, the personality jokes, every engineer I've ever met tell, <laughs> tells a joke about how bad personalities are amongst the engineer community. Like, oh, yeah, it's horrible. It must be true. <laughs> It's a hundred percent true. I was an outcast. I didn't fit in, in the engineering community, but I was an engineer. Yeah. And so once I learned that there's an actual process to selling as an engineer, I went all in and learned everything you could possibly know about sales. And as a result of going, doing this deep dive, I'm able to learn, repeat, articulate everything I've learned and share it. And that's how I became this the sales trainer today that everyone knows me as. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I want to highlight, I love the fact that you, I know you had, you said it was the wrong decision to become an agent, but I love the fact that somebody said, Hey, like you asked for advice. Like, how do I be like you? How do I, how do I sip, you know, post pictures of mimosas online and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, Oh, well go get your license. I'll show you. And less than three weeks later, you've got your license and you're like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm all in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that right there probably highlights a lot of why you've achieved so much success in real estate is that you just jump in. And I'm, I would imagine that trend probably carried where if you ask somebody for advice and they give it to you, you don't just say, oh, that was cool. I'll throw that in the maybe oh, I'll think no. about it someday. <laughs> no, I drive my team crazy with all the ideas that we want to execute. Right. But it's the same thing with the podcast. Like literally I was at an event and the guy said start a podcast. Said, OK, well, I mean, uh, I'll give it a shot. So on a Saturday, I heard start a podcast. I decided I was going to start a podcast. On Wednesday that week, I announced on Facebook Live, hey, I'm starting a podcast. Tune in next week. I'm going to do my very first episode. I didn't have a title. Didn't have a format. Didn't have a logo. Didn't know who the guest was going to be. But I just said, hey, tune in next week. We're going to have a show. Over that weekend, bought realestatedisruptors.com. Created a logo on the Monday before the podcast because I have to post something on social media about it. Yeah. <laughs> People know we're doing a podcast. Uh, on Monday, I asked someone, hey, you want to be on the show? And then that that Wednesday, we had our very first episode of Real Estate Disruptors. That's awesome. And I, and I think I just saw online, was it this past week, you just got the trademark approved? We got the trademark approved for Pardon the Disruption. Oh, so I'm had, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Pardon the Disruption was a show we launched about last, a little bit earlier this year or a year ago. Your anniversary is a little bit earlier this year, like maybe a couple months ago. So we launched uh, Pardon the Disruption and we looked around and there's a bunch of people with Pardon the Disruption podcast. Surprisingly, mm -hmm. I, I just didn't expect that to be the case. 
And so as a, as a defensive measure, we got the trademark. So no one, so no one can come after us later on to take it away from us. Yeah. That's uh, I think that's a smart, smart move. And I'm, I'm, I might have to pick your brain about that after the recording, because I've got a <laughs> interesting situation and, um, yeah, there's the same kind of, I'm well, like, wow, there's other stuff out there. Yeah. So this is the lesson, right? Like real estate disruptors was trademarked after I launched a podcast, someone trademarked it. Right. So I was like, well, I'm not gonna let that happen again. Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. So it, yeah, it, I laugh. You talk about being an agent, not being the best thing in the world. <laughs> well, you were also an agent in like 2008, 2009, 2000. I imagine that probably wasn't the hottest market in Phoenix. It wasn't. Or, I, I, I was able to turn that into short sale listings. I was able to uh, turn that into foreclosure listings, right? I got a chance to work with Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Fannie Mae, and list yeah. their properties because that was the only way you were going to survive back then. Yeah. And then you got to learn from Sean Terry and you it's, I didn't learn from him. I just stole from him. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's, you know, that's learning. I never copied. learned directly from him. I just oh, went and just copied and pasted, which is the <laughs> secret to success. Yeah. Who can copy and paste the the faster, most effectively. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I, what was the, I heard someone say it once. Um, oh, like, I, I'm not copying, I'm, and there was another word he used that basically meant the exact same thing and not mirroring, yeah. but anyway, um, yeah, it, it's, it, you know, like iterating upon, and I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got uh, my media kit on my website, my speaking page on my website. A lot of those are literally, wow, I really like the way this guy did this. Let me just move that over here. And yeah, it's inspiration. <laughs> yeah, it's inspiration. Exactly. <laughs> and I love that you stumbled into wholesaling. Um, you know, yeah. right now, you know, in the last probably three years, it's become this buzz. It's it's almost like, I wouldn't say it's the way, but it is one of the most popular ways to get into real estate because a lot of mm -hmm. people pitch it as, you know, no money, no credit, whatever, which yes, you can, you know, you can do that, but you know, they don't, it's like, not, they don't usually say no money, no credit, but you're going to have to work your ass off to <laughs> make that work without money or capital or credit or well that's um, sexy sell, selling point. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh but you know back in 2014 or whatever when you were starting to get into the off-market stuff and the the wholesaling um it wasn't that big of a topic yeah. i mean i didn't know what wholesaling was until two years into buying houses i learned about wholesaling back in like 08 09 right um but i thought it was a fad so i was yeah. like yeah that's cute but you know, when the market turns around, that will ha that won't have a that won't have a place. Yeah, man, how wrong was I? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's uh it's always probably gonna have a place just because it's it's like the least risky exit strategy. You're just mm -hmm. you're just done, and it's it's great. It's a great bump of capital. Well, risky. It, it's technically correct. It is the least risky, and like no one really gets in trouble for it. But if you break down the semantics of it, and if people really want to, if people really care, um, wholesaling the way it's taught is fraudulent, right? Where I say, I'm going to buy your house, and yeah. I cancel because I can't sell it. Um, what was it? Fraud by inducement. If I'm selling, if I'm convincing you to sign a contract with, materially f with, with material information that's not factually accurate, kind of fraudy right so now that being said no one gets in trouble for it but if i convince you to sell me your car or if i sell you my car and i was wrong by a digit on the odometer you'd have every right to be upset with me yeah i'm saying i'm buying your house and i don't actually have the ability to buy your house yeah it's, it's not really a gray area <laughs> That's no, that's valid. I'm, I'm not a fan of that form of what's taught for wholesalers. Uh, yeah. and I used to, so I, I stopped, I shut my wholesaling arm down about nine months ago, mainly just because I was trying to focus more on everything else. Uh, you know, the buy and hold side and the, the community and everything and mm -hmm. wholesaling for me, uh, I'd had one or two bad run-ins with hires and it was just, it was too much feeding the beast. I hadn't, hadn't been able to scale out of it. And it was taking too much time. So I just I shut it down. And, and but we did yeah. probably 50 transactions wholesale between 2020 yeah. and 2022. And I never once put a co property under contract that I didn't intend to close if I couldn't find a buyer. And, and I that's the key, right? Every single one. 
and that's the key, right? And so, like, and look, I love wholesaling. I think wholesaling is great. Yeah. I, got, I, got, I got no issues with wholesaling. I think it's just the way it's taught is, is, is the challenge, right? So like for us, like our, our team, if we can't get it at a price that makes sense for us, that we won't close on it, I'll just say, hey, David, you know, the offer you're looking to get, not going to be a cash buyer. Yeah. At the same time, you know, what you're looking to get, it sounds like getting a cash buyer at that price is important to you. It just so happens I'm pretty well connected with all the other investors in town. If I can bring you a cash buyer at that price, would you feel comfortable with that? Right. And then this is how we talk about like, we're going to wholesale your deal. Yeah. That's, I, and very upfront, very honest. I like it. It's a good, that's a good approach. So, okay. So you get into wholesaling. You are, you are known for sales. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, you know, we'll kind of dig into some of these different questions here, but um, I guess, I would ask if you have, if you have, what's the best way to word this? What do you think most people get wrong about wholesaling or sales? Uh, well, so wholesaling sales, those are two different things that we okay, can yeah, go yeah, into, right? But for each, for each one, uh, what most people get wrong in wholesaling is they don't necessarily treat it like a business, at least the newer people. They don't necessarily treat it like a business. They think it like a side hobby, right? Like a, here's a, a side hustle. Mm -hmm. And, the challenge is you're going against real operators. Uh, I have this great fortune to be uh, in the top wholesaling mastermind, real estate investor mastermind in the country is Collective Genius. And you look around that room, like top operators in the country have Salesforce. The top operators in the country have KPIs, metrics. They track return on investment per marketing channel. They, they, they track the cash conversion cycle, right? If you get loosey goosey with this, you'll get eaten alive. Um, there was a period of time in the previous few years where you could get loose with the details because the margins are so high. And because the margins are so high, the margins for error are really high, right? Those days are gone. <laughs> so if you're not going to go in here with the intent of being a business person, I think you're going to have a hard, harder time thriving right now. If you go in there with intent to be a business person, then it's fine, right? Like if you're willing to work your butt off and outwork your competition starting new, then you'll be okay. But if you're going to go in there, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to work on this from like six to nine. Man, you're going to have a really hard time right now competing against everyone else that's running this like a real business, right? Like the, the level of sophistication on the back end on a lot of these operators will exceed uh, a lot of real companies today right like getting to see both sides on the realtor side and then the wholesaling side is like oh my goodness like it's it is two different operations right so i think that's the first thing is, as a wholesale side you got to go in there with the intent to crush and the intent to crush is you gotta you gotta be willing to you know brent daniel says grind your face off right like the first couple of years there's there's a hustle season. Uh, you know, I've also heard this as suffering season, which I believe is necessary. If you're not willing to suffer the first few years, like don't even get into it. As far as the sell side, um, I think the, the 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 biggest mistake is believing that sales isn't a science. That mm. some people just have it and some people don't, right? Because that's what I believed for the fir like for the first ten years of my business. I believe that because uh, you know I read the books. You know, I read so many different sales books. I've learned from other salespeople and I couldn't piece it together. And so because I couldn't piece it together for the first 10 years, like, yeah, you know, either you got it or you don't. And then I learned that there actually is a sales process and there actually is a science. And there's so many things you can do to really be an effective salesperson. And so with that, I, I this is going to sound entirely boastful and, and arrogant. Like I'll put myself up against anybody else in sales right now. And I'm a person who's not a warm person. I'm not a connector. I'm not a. I'm not going to give you the warm and fuzzies, right? But what will you get working with me? You'll be validated. You'll see that I understand your problems. You'll see that I understand what's keeping you up at night. Uh, you'll see that I can help you accomplish your goals at a price that makes sense for you. And you'll want to work with me, right? I can't accomplish that without a sales process. And so I would say the biggest mistake people make in sales is that I'm good enough. I can just wing it. Good luck. I think uh, we see this a lot. Um, people that wing it, that are, na are naturally talented, they can wing it and crush it inconsistently. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, what we see. That's a really good way to put it.
uh, I always call the the suffering phase the BMW phase of of business below minimum wage. So, <laughs> like, yep, there's going to be, and that's what separates a lot of entrepreneurs. They just wash out in that first, you know, couple months. But yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head. You you're coming right at me there with your your wholesaling as a side hustle. That's exactly why I shut it down. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It, I never wanted it to overtake what I was building with the community to help service members and vets. And once mm -hmm. I, I made the fatal mistake of teaching my acquisitions manager how to dispo and how to do everything else in the business. And then he was like, mm -hmm. why do I need you? I could do this on my own. And I was like, Oh, yeah. that's whoops. <laughs> I mean, good, good, right. good luck. But uh, that doesn't help me yeah. run a business. So. Well, and I admire your cause, you know, working with military, uh, uh, present uh, active military and vets, like that's an underappreciated um, um, it's not an industry group of people, right? Yeah. Like the, the, we have, you know, they have two holidays, right? Veterans day and labor and, and uh, veterans day and, and, uh, Memorial day. Memorial day. That's all they get. Right. But they deserve a lot more. Uh, you know, I'm assuming I'm not going to offend anyone here on, on your show here. I'm an extreme capitalist, right? And we can't have capitalism if we don't have democracy and freedom. So, yeah. you know, thank you right, for your service and thank you for everyone that's listening. We, we all appreciate your support, brother. That's a, it's a, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a fun, fun gig, but uh, they also don't teach you a whole lot about financial freedom and or finances because, you know, well, they can't they make the best service member if you can be employed yeah. by yourself. Why so. Would you stay there <laughs> if you've got the finances figured out? Exactly. Yeah. But the benefits they give you, if you just learn how to use them, it's, it's awesome. So yeah, we had uh, a, uh, I had a mentor uh, he was a Navy SEAL, right? He was a top guy. He was a top SEAL on the ground when Saddam Hussein was burning the rigs or trying to burn the rigs. So he was the top Navy SEAL on the ground. And he talked about like all these horrific conditions he's been in around the world, right? He's like, yeah. In my best year, I was making 33000 a year. I was like, you are doing all that for $33,000 a year? Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because there's some stuff that just doesn't leave. I was just joking. I'm, I'm going out to Maui to record a podcast uh, in a week and a half. And we got a... It was me and a buddy are both going out to record on the same day and they had a condo that they were going to let us stay in. But uh, I guess that one was booked. So they were like, oh, shoot. Hey, the only one we have is a studio. Do you like we can we can let you stay here for, you know, on on, on the house or you guys can just go find your own place. So you're not two guys sleeping in a studio. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, my buddy Diego, I'm like, dude, I got the floor like this doesn't bother me at all. Like, whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> you take, go back yeah. to my roots. I'll bring a little air mattress. And I'll just sleep on the floor next to you. I don't care. All right. Um, so it is, it is funny. Some of the stuff that sticks with you after all that, <laughs> like ah, bed, yeah. whatever, you know, it's all true. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So I was going to ask, and you kind of hit it on this, but I'm curious when you're hiring, uh, for a sales rep or, or looking at sales reps in general, do you have like a personality test that you run people through or like, how do you 100%. determine? Yeah. What's your, 100%. what's your go-to? We're not, we're not gonna even consider you for the job until you've taken a predictive index test, right? And a predictive index is basically a sophisticated version of the disc test. Um, it, it doesn't just tell you, are you high D, high I, high S, high C. It also tells you the delta between each of the ones. Mm -hmm. And based off that delta, how you tend to uh, operate, right? Like how having someone that's a high D and then an I will manifest differently than someone's a high I followed by a D. And so, yeah, predictive index that tells us how you're wired, how you operate in your natural state. Because what's really important is that we want to hire a person who fits in a role that is in alignment with their natural state. Anyone can do anything for a, for a short period of time. Anyone can, yeah. right? Like you got the grit and fortitude that like you can do anything for a period of time, but you can't sustain it, right? And so what we see is we want to hire you in a role that's in alignment with your um, your baseline behavioral profile so that you'll stay in that role. Um, like I, there was a period of time, right? In my realtor days where my paperwork was always spot on. Every initial was always there. Every sign signature was there. I didn't miss anything, right? But once you start doing multiple transactions, now speed is more important than details. And it gets to a point where you're getting fined, right? By your broker. It's like, whatever, I don't even care. Like, find me. Like, let me go out and hunt, right? So my behavioral, my de default wiring is to hunt, right? Not gather, not organize, it's to hunt. And so we want to, for sales, 
We want to hire people whose default wiring is to hunt and not to gather. I like that. And so uh, I'm assuming that's probably like a high higher ID side of things. Uh, generally high D with a good amount of I. Yeah, DI ideally. Uh, ID is good as well for dispo. Um, so for acquisitions, we want a person who's a high driver with a little bit of uh, social interaction. And for yeah. dispo, we want someone that's high social interaction with drive. And the, and the difference is that because acquisition is more transactional, uh, it's very likely I'll never see you again. Right. Yeah. But in dispositions where you sell them to a buyer, we need to be friends for long periods of time. So we're looking for someone that's more social uh, on dispo side. We're looking for someone that's more transactional on the acquisition side. That's a great way to put it. So I'm a, I'm a 99 I and like a 72, 73 D. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't like closing, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't like, uh, you know, if, if they're, if it comes up to the wrong amount of obstacles or objections or whatever, you know, I, I want to maintain that relationship enough that it hurts mm-hmm. the deal sometimes for me. And I, yeah. I recognize that. So, you know, but it's just funny that you put it that way. Cause I always wondered, I was like, man, I was a really good recruiter for the Marine Corps. Why, mm-hmm. why am I struggling with this? And now it kind of makes sense. Cause you know, the recruiting is all about the relationship and you're, you know, you just want people. Who yeah. Want Follow you're talking to them over and over again. You care about them. How are you doing? How's your family? What's your upbringing? Right. You, you care about all these things. Yeah. Transactional person. Unfortunately, like myself, right? That's why I wasn't a high-performing realtor. Like, even though, like, numerically, I, I, I always did well. Like, I was consistently in the top forty in my in, in in the market. My profitability suffered because I never wanted to call you again for a repeat deal. Mm. I didn't want to call David and ask him how his uh, Christmas break was. I didn't want to call him and ask him about his kids because it was so insincere when I would ask him these questions sounds awful, but I, it's just not an important detail to me about what his kids doing in junior high. Right. Yeah. For you, if you're a high eye, then you do care. Hey, like, what are you guys doing this break? You know, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. You guys have any fun plans? You would ask it and you would care what they have to tell you. And you're happy to have that information. I felt required to ask that question and required to care. And man, that it was just so much work for me. Yeah. It's a great explanation. Yeah. The, one or two of the best guys I know at, at sales and, and uh, they're very, uh, we butt heads on it about how transactional mm-hmm. they are, you know, cause they'll be, we got to go, 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 go. You got to do this, 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 you know, they're always hounding me for like details and updates. And I'm like, dude, I, I literally told, he's like my best friend. He, he might even be listening to the show. Uh, probably two, three weeks ago, I, he was bugging me about uh, a refi from the bank. And I was like, hey, dude, if you want that answer, here's their phone number because I'm not going to call and hound her because I want to mm-hmm. keep that relationship alive. <laughs> and, exactly. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll take it over. I'm like, all right. And then I texted yeah. her and warned her. I was like, hey, <laughs> like, <laughs> we need we need this to move quickly. I'm not willing to harass you, so I gave your your info to my partner and expect a phone call. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, uh, so that's funny. And and you know what? It works out because he's right. We need to get it done faster, and I'm not the guy to push that along because I don't want to. I don't want to push your buttons. Um, exactly right. So it's uh, funny. Um, I don't know if we. Got, is there a quick way to do like an overview of what you view as the sales process? I know that uh, there's no way we can do it justice in 24 hours, let alone one. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a few different uh, key highlights. I, I think one of the one of the big things is you know I just kind of said like how I don't care about like what's going on with your kids and that kind of stuff, right? And that might sound totally awful, uh, but in sales, I have to know everything about what's going on. I have to be skilled enough to ask you all the questions, the most difficult questions about what's going on so I can understand how I can best help you. And so in order to do that, I do have to ask you pain questions. Like, for example, how come you're in foreclosure? What's going on? What have you tried? Uh, The last time they cut back your hours, like, when was that? What's your wife saying about this foreclosure? When you got that foreclosure notice, you know, how did that affect things at home? Where are you going to go? What happens if that doesn't work? What happens if you're not able to sell your home? Right? We have to ask all these difficult questions, right? And I care to help them. So I'm willing to go through and ask all these questions. And these are all important details for me to be able to craft the ideal outcome for them. So I think one of the first things we talk about, the importance in our sales process, is actually care enough about them to ask all these questions. 
right? That's the first thing. Uh, second thing is you need to validate them. So one thing we're all hungry for, all, all of us as humans, is to be seen, be heard, be appreciated, be understood, all these things. And so we have to ask enough questions and understand their world enough so that they feel important, so they feel validated. That being heard and listened to and validated will win you so much more business than, hey, like, tell me about the, like, tell me, uh, you know, I saw, did you watch that game last night? Like, it was crazy ending, right? And I saw that you drive a Mustang. Like, how cool is that Mustang? Like, no one cares. No one cares about that stuff, right? So actually understanding what's going on in their world. Uh, so validating and seeing them is one of the most important things. Uh, Trey Taylor did a presentation, right? I see you. I thought that was perfect. Um, setting proper expectations for the appointment. I think one of the things that I, my biggest struggle when I was buying houses was I need to think about it, right? And so why was that happening? Because homeowners want to shop for offers. They want to get multiple people coming over, a bunch of people making offers, and they'll call the best offer, right? So when they say, I need to think about it, like, how do I say you're not allowed to think about it? <laughs> well, now I know. Now I know how to say it, right? So we have now we set proper expectations for the very beginning of the appointment. Like, look, David, it's going to be yes, no, and you know, you're not allowed to think about it. Now we have a professional, courteous, nice way to say it, where it's non-confrontational. But at the end of the day, you just tell me yes, tell me no. Either way is fine, right? So I think setting proper expectations for the appointment, understanding them, going through the pain, negotiating properly. I think most people think they're okay negotiating. Uh, but there's a process, there's a science behind negotiating. So we go through all that. Uh, and then we prevent remorse. Hey, David, sometime between now and when we close escrow, you're going to have some doubt. You're going to have some worries that I make the right choice going with this guy. I just want to let you know when you have those thoughts, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you wake up. It's totally normal. Everyone has those thoughts. And by just me setting the expectation later on when you freak out, it's like, oh, I mean, Steve Stiles going to freak out. So I guess this is normal versus you actually freaking out, right? So preventing remorse. Uh, setting expectations like, hey, you know, when, sometime between now and, and when we close, you're going to have people calling you, offering you more money. What are you going to do? And you might say, well, I should probably listen to them. I'm going to say, hey, David, here's a problem. I'm going to go back to my office. I'm going to ask my team to work their butts off, get all the paperwork done, make sure we close on time. On top of that, I got to talk to my finance person and say, hey, this $200,000, this is David's money. Don't spend it. Don't buy any other houses if we have to use this money. So I'm going to go back and tell my team, to do all this work and set aside his money, you're telling me you're not 100% committed to me? Like, how am I supposed to do that? They're like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, obviously, okay. And now you won't, you're less likely, not you won't, but you're less likely to shop me, you're less likely to take other offers, right? So at a high level, those are all the different things you have to do in a process. And we spend two full days in my office explaining how to do all these things. But those are all the what's that have to happen in the sales process. I love it. And I love the, you can tell that you've been doing this for a minute because you have all the preemptive, like, okay, what's the most common thing that happens once I'm under contract? I have definitely had a seller three days before closing go, ah, you know, I'm just not feeling it. And when you really dig it out, it's like they got another offer. And then you basically have to, you know, it's not a fun situation to be like, look, man, um, I have somebody, a partner, you know, the buyer on the end buyer who has basically told me that if you don't show up, he's going to sue you. And I, I'm the middle guy here. Like, what do you want me to do? You know, it's like, mm. it's this whole mess and you've got the NOI sign. So you're covered anyway, but it's, it's, a. Uh, I learned very quickly from that. Like, okay, if I can try to get ahead of this game, um, mm -hmm. do you leave? Uh, I know you said that you, you give them the, uh, essentially ultimatum. Yes. No, either way is fine. Yeah. Do you leave? Like if, if you get the feeling that there's a bunch of people, coming to look at the house and they're kind of window shopping. Do you like, I used to leave like a packet of information that was like, Hey, make sure mm -hmm. they have these things. And they were all things that I normally wouldn't do. Like I would never offer EMD in my, in my market cause mm -hmm. nobody does. But then mm -hmm. I'd go, Hey, if you got other offers, make sure they're willing to give you five grand EMD cause nobody else in the market was, you know, make sure yeah. they have proof of funds cause nobody did. And, um, right. Do you do yeah. landmines so, like that? We have a total scorched earth process. Hey David, you know, seem really kind. Um, you know, I want to make sure no one takes advantage of you. Can we do this? Uh, you got a pen and paper handy. I want to make sure you get this down. You know, no one takes advantage of you. Um, so make sure they have 10,000 non-refundable earnest money deposit, right? Because if they, if they're buying a house for 180 K and they don't have $10,000 to their name, what'd that tell you? Right. <laughs> and, and, and make sure, you know, when you're saying these things that you, you wash their face and make any weird face ticks or make any weird sounds, you know, what does that tell you? 
Uh, make sure you write the contract. This contract's not assignable. Uh, because, you know, here's what happens sometimes. These guys that are cash buyers actually aren't cash buyers. They're going to sell your contract to someone else, which is totally fine, right? We, we respect that there's nothing wrong with it. Just know that, you know, we had uh, another uh, homeowner who called us and they were, they were furious. And I asked them what was going on. They said, well, we went with a higher offer. And, you know, we, we had packed up our whole home. Uh, everything was in a moving truck. We were on the road. Uh, we, had, we were driving across the country. All our utilities already turned off. We were to put our deposit on our new home. And this guy called to say he's not able to, to close. He's going to have to cancel the contract. Now, I'm not saying this would happen in your situation here, but if it did, like, how would that affect you? And we have like a whole list of things. And as a matter of fact, Dave, if you want, I have a whole recording of me actually doing this in someone's house, like me in her living room, like with a video camera. So, you know, I can send that to you after this and you you can have that as a bonus for your team or for your That'd audience. Awesome. Yeah. We'd, we'd love to throw that in the a link to that in the show notes. That's uh that's super cool. I appreciate it. I love yeah. that stuff. I love the, I love the strategy behind all of that. Uh, and that stuff doesn't involve, you know, the, the transactional side, the transactional sides where I, where I, where I don't enjoy it as much. Um, yeah. all right. So you're on a mission to create a hundred millionaires with the real estate mm-hmm. disruptors community. And I just wanted to ask kind of, you know, I guess, uh, kind of a way to talk about some of the things you're doing on your side. What is it? Is that through your educational component or how, how, what's your, what's your, what's your vision for how that, how that happens? Um, I think if I can get create a hundred millionaires from the free content, that'd be awesome. Right. And we get people that messages every once in a while. It's like, Hey, like I want to let you know, like just from listening to the show, I become a millionaire for me. That's enough. So you don't have to buy anything. Right. So when we say, on a, when we say we're on a mission, create hundred millionaires, that's not a pitch. That's just something I want to do. Again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I'm an extreme capitalist. Why am I an extreme capitalist? Well, my grandparents had everything stolen from them in China uh, when communism took over. Right. So they were merchants. They were successful. Everything was taken away. They fled China. They went to Vietnam, started over, rebuilt everything. Right. Grandfather on my mom's side was a metal scrap guy. Uh, grandfather on my dad's side uh, was a jeweler. Rebuilt everything, restarted and successfully rebuilt. And then communism took over and took everything away. And my parents had to flee. Right. So when I say I'm an extreme capitalist, it's because we've had communism take everything from my family twice. Right. And so when I sign on a mission to create 100 millionaires, I, I want to spread the gospel of capitalism. I want to preach entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship, right? Because if we can get people to become capitalists and they don't have to be entrepreneurs, but at least be around entrepreneurship and, and, and around extreme ownership around, um, uh, was it the inner locus of control versus the outer locus of control? Yep. You know, like I am responsible for my outcomes. I am responsible for my future. If we can preach that and get that message out there, this country will stay the wonderful place it is. But I can share with you, having some paranoia about communism, I look around the corner, I'm concerned. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. Um, it's it's the idea that um, like if you get to a place where another million dollars cash doesn't change your life, then you have a lot more control over you know your own well being, no matter what happens in the world. Mm-hmm. which is, which is really, really, really powerful. And, uh, man, yeah, I love that. Um, all right. So we got a couple questions that I always ask. Let's see if I can get back over to this page and scroll down to the right spot. Um, these are mostly just goofy, goofy questions. Sure. I try, I try to pull a question from the Facebook group. I really, this is going to be like the fourth show in a row where I say I really should find a better question because I don't ever find questions that relate to what I want to ask in the Facebook group. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you're in the Facebook group, ask better questions. Uh, <laughs> that's not the problem. The problem is I just need a better question. Uh, okay. So what's the dumbest thing you've ever purchased? Right here. That's an <laughs> NFT. That's an NFT we bought for $142,000. Right. What's that worth today? Right. Uh, not 20. Cause I can't, I can't get 20 for it. So uh, that's the dumbest purchase, but it actually worked itself out in the end. Uh, because, because I bought this and I was talking about blockchain last year, uh, I actually connected with a guy, Paul Sparks and, uh, uh, and with Paul Sparks, we created whale club and the things I've learned from being inside a whale club will make me not make me will prevent me from making any more massively egregious errors. Right? So mm. I know I'm, I already recouped that 142 K because I'm no longer, uh, 
making the ridiculously dumb decisions that cost me money, right? Because the thing that the, the things I've learned in the last year and a half is not about how much money you can make, right? That's important, but that's not the most important. It's the ability to keep going. It's the ability to not crash and burn. It's the ability to not hit the reset button, right? Which yeah. how many there's a, there's a lot of people right now hitting the reset button. Yeah. Right. And not only the hit, when you hit the reset button, it's not that you go down to zero, right? This isn't a video game. When you hit the reset button, you lose all the money that you've gained, money and reputation you gain up to this point, and you're past zero. So now you got to make up money to get back to zero and repay back all the people that you made commitments to. And you've not permanently ruined your reputation, but it's taken a pretty severe beating. And now you got to recoup that reputation and it can be done right because we see a lot of people that go from uh, from rags to riches back to rags back to riches right like it can it can be done but it's a lot easier if you just don't lose everything <laughs> Warren Buffett's number one rule right never right? lose money yeah exactly there's there's a reason for that um and actually Paul Sparks is one of the I think three or four people who introduced us at Family uh, Mastermind he's a he's yeah. a good dude he's been on the podcast and uh what you guys are doing with Whale Club is pretty cool um all right. So then the, the opposite question is what's the best purchase you've ever made or your favorite? Oh, best purchase. Uh, man, there's been so many really, really good purchases. Um, I would say it might've been the sales training, you know? Mm. Um, because it wasn't to that moment where I was able to piece it all together. Cause I had all these different fragments, right? It's like, you know, go for pain, but how do you do that? Uh, listen, active listening, but how do you do that? Uh, tonality, but how do you apply all the time? Like piecing it all together, it has made a profound impact in my business. It's made, but more importantly, it's created profound impacts in my relationships. I'm a better business owner because I I can now understand at a deeper level what's important to my team when they have a uh, something to. You know, it's not a complaint, but when they have feedback, like I can better understand the feedback and where it's coming from and why it bothers them so much. It's made me a better husband because I can better understand what my wife is communicating to me because men and women do not communicate the same way. Right. So I can become a better husband. I'm a, uh, and then most importantly, probably of all of them, I'm a better, better father uh, because I can better understand my kids. Uh, when I was growing up, if you were crying, What'd you get? Stop crying while you're crying, right? Well, with my kids, when they're crying, uh, I ask them, how come you're crying? And we've created psychological safety. And that's all from sales, right? So we create a psychological safety for them to be open about why they're feeling what they're feeling. Um, so I would say the, the sales training was probably made the, the most profound impact uh, in my life. Love that answer. Yeah. Uh, all right. So number three is name a book podcast or resource that made you into a better leader or investor? A uh, better leader? I would probably say um, uh, how leadership actually works. Uh, that was uh, from that Navy SEAL. I mean, yeah. the guy had a lot of success, right? Managing other Navy SEALs. Again, you know, to be one of the top guys <laughs> on command when we first invaded Iraq. Uh, learning how Navy SEALs lead one another and lead themselves. Uh, that was, that's, that one's up there. Extreme ownership is up there. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I would say how leadership actually works actually gives you the frame of mind on how to effectively lead a group. Now, your guys that are listening probably already experienced military style leadership. So maybe that won't be as helpful for them. <laughs> uh, if, if, if not that, then maybe, you know, a lot of John Maxwell books are great on, on leadership. Ooh, I love John Maxwell. Yeah, he's solid. Great speaker, too. Really good to hear him yeah. in person. Um, all right. So someone's listening to the show. They want to make more money or save more money or whatever that goal is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, instead of consuming another podcast episode after this one, what do you think they should take as an action to help them achieve their goals? So it's going to be completely self-serving, right? Beautiful. <laughs> uh, sales is our sales community. Uh, it's $97 a month. You can get better at sales today. Um, so, I mean, it's completely self-serving, but I would say, you know, sales training is number one. Uh, the other thing is taking consistent action. Uh, a lot of people tell you to take massive action. That's the frame of mind I've been in my whole life. But massive action does not necessarily directly correlate to consistent action. 
consistent action will win in the long run. So massive action is important, but consistent action will actually win in the long run. So uh, do something every day that you hate doing that will get you closer to your goals. I would say that's probably the, the other thing. Yeah. Uh, consistency seems to trump basically everything over time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, that's why water can erode canyons. So <laughs> Exactly. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, well, I was going to ask where can people get a hold, find out more about you. Obviously, <laughs> we just talked about your website, but yeah, if they want to reach out to you, or is that the best location, or what's the best way to get? Uh, it's the best place to get sales training. Uh, to get a hold of me, we have Instagram at Steve Trang, S T E V dot T R A N G, or you can consume our content uh, on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Is Real Estate Disruptors? Beautiful, I love it. Well, Steve, we've made it to uh, within an hour, which is you know, I'm getting I'm getting better at this, not going overboard. Yeah. So, uh, I've really, really, really appreciated this. Is there anything that you think we've missed that we should have covered? Uh, anything that we missed? Um, I think you know it's still true today. We we still live uh, in in the greatest time there's ever been in the history of man, in the greatest country on the planet. So go get what you deserve because why not you i like that i like that a lot yeah i'm trying to think of the name of the book uh the author unfortunately passed away but the he wrote a book and i'm gonna put it in the show notes i guess because i can't think of the name of it but basically he he's just talking about exactly that like it's the the perception that uh you know, things right now are so bad because that's what we see on the media and things right now are mm. so bad because this and things right now. And then he just goes and pulls data and he's like, mm. the light, you know, the life expectancy is 10 years better than it was a decade ago. Mm. And, the, the, and it's yeah. just unproven. Yeah, it's great. We live better than any king has ever lived on this planet. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, life is good, man. Life is good. I'm in Arizona. I can turn on my Tesla AC and walk to my car and it's already in a nice temperature before <laughs> we get in the car. <laughs> right? Like the problems we have, the Kings didn't have, they wish yeah. they had. I agree. That's a really good way to put it. I appreciate the perspective and thank yeah. you very much for being on the show. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you for having me. And those questions you felt so bad about, I mean, I thought we had really good answers for it. So don't feel so bad. I think they're great questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right, that awkward.